So this week we start a new book, the book of Exodus. Um, it's Parshat Shemot. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little story. So, you know, every week the, the world sort of turns and changes radically. And I think it was two and a half weeks ago, I was actually on my way to Costa Rica. Um, made it under the wire of Omicron and was thrilled to be going there for my uncle's second bar mitzvah at 83 years old. So there I was, I was on the plane and I look around me and everyone has their screen on and I see images of violence everywhere. Guns and, and women in scantily, like scantily dressed um, women like holding guns and I see sharks and just terrifying images all around me and the steward walking up and down the aisle handing out these things called stroops which are these um, sweet kind of Danish-esque um, waffles filled with this yummy caramel and, and she gives me one and I start to take a bite and I look at all the screens and I look at the sugar in my hand and I realize Ha, huh, it's not what I wanted. I wanted something deeper. I didn't want sugar. I didn't want violence. I didn't want screens. I kind of felt like actually feeding my soul in a way that was nourishing. I wanted to take out a Torah, but I was on a plane. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't have a Torah on me. And I took out this wonderful novel I was reading called Transcendent Kingdom by Yagiyasi. I hope I'm pronouncing her name um, correctly. Uh, and it's about the tw twin tragedies of addiction and racism. But a beautiful, nourishing, just, you know, book full of depth and, and, and luminosity. And at once, by opening that book, I turned inwards and towards the world instead of, you know, kind of um, numbing myself with, uh, with, Again, violence and sugar. And to tell you the truth, while in those moments I really wanted to be awake, I don't always want to be awake. I don't want to be awake to the world and everything's happening and the suffering of the other and the complexity of relationships. And, you know, sometimes I, like all of us, find a million ways to distract myself and kind of, you know, flatten the soul a little bit. And other times I'm able to turn towards life or the other or, you know, really hear the call of the other, hear the call of the world. And then other times I'm so full and it's just so much input, I can't take it anymore and I need to shut down a little bit like we all do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I am concerned about the soul of America and the way we kind of turn it off in all these destructive ways. So this brings us to our Parsha believe it or not. And such a complicated Parsha. There's like a death force, this Pharaoh who's terrified of the, of the Israelites and wants to, and does, enslave them and wants to kill Israelite children. No regard for life and the holiness of life. And yet there are these incredible midwives who, you know, courageously and sneakily get around Pharaoh's edicts and saves, you know, the, the babies of the Israelite women. And then there's... Um, the mother of, of Moses, who courageously hides her infant for three months before she finds the crazy faith and courage to leave her baby by the side of the Nile instead of drowning it as Pharaoh commanded. And um, 
Moses's or the baby's big sisters watching out for her brother and in walks the daughter of Pharaoh and somehow the mother of Moses and um, Miriam, the baby's brother and the daughter of Pharaoh conspire to save this one child who will ultimately save the children of Israel. Amazing. Which brings us to, you know, I'm kind of collapsing things and summarizing things, but brings us to the scene of the burning bush, the scene that Chazan Basia and the wonderful musicians with us were just singing about, standing on holy ground. So Moses is walking along one day. He is now, he's run away from Egypt. He, uh, he killed an Egyptian and he's, you know, he's been found out and he's running, he's run away. And he meets the beautiful Tsipora and marries and has children and settles down in Midian. And he's a shepherd, just a humble shepherd. And he's walking through the wilderness one day with his sheep. And suddenly he beholds this bush that's being cons that's that's on fire but not being consumed. And what does he do? He doesn't do a lot. He actually stops to look. And there's commentary that tells us a lot of other people that day, shepherds and women on their way to the well, they pass by that bush and they didn't do a thing. They didn't stop. It's like just the way we pass a million perhaps miracles and calls to us every day and we don't stop. But he stops and he turns to look, sar l'rot, and he says, why? He, he stops with the question and he says, why is this bush burning and not being consumed? What's going on here? Right? He beholds the vision in front of him. And that's when God speaks to him. That's when God sees that Moses sees, that's when God says, and let me just find the exact, Vayar Hashem Kisar Lerot. So God saw that he, uh, he turned to see, and he calls Moshe, Vayikra Elav Elohim, God calls him, Mitochasnev, from that sort of that humble bush, Vayomer, Moshe, Moshe, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, he nani, here I am, ready to do your bidding. I'm here. I've turned towards you. Now, the Midrash gives us this beautiful insight on where God is at that very moment and what's going on with God when, when God calls, like the breathless call, Moshe, Moshe. Um, so in the book of Genesis, God calls Abraham, Abraham and Yaakov, Yaakov, that doubling of the name. But in each case, there's a stop. There's a pasik in between the doubling of the name. So it's Avraham, Avraham, Yaakov, Yaakov. But here it's Moshe, Moshe. There's no stop. And what the Midrash tells us is that they compare, the Midrash compares God to a man overloaded by an excessively heavy burden who cries out all in one breath, somebody, somebody, come quite quickly and take this load off of me. God is saying, help, help, I can't carry this load alone. I can't liberate my people alone. I can't release them from their suffering alone. Moses is alive to the call, to God's need, to God's desperation. 
Moses says, he, namely, I am ready. But then again, he's not quite ready. Let's see what happens. God says, don't come close. Take off your shoes, right? Um, because the, the, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And then God introduces God's self to Moshe. And he says, or sorry, and God says, she says, they say, so God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what is Moses to? And Moses hid his face. Because he was scared to look at God. Moses takes off his shoes. He stands on holy ground. He listens as God introduces God's self. And then he hides. He hides his face. He wants to see, but he doesn't quite want to see. And to make matters worse, he refuses God's mission. When God says, go, go see Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, Moses says, no, I can't speak, I can't do it. What if they won't listen to me? He comes up with a million excuses. What if they don't know who you are, who I am? Moses finds every possible excuse in the world. I am not a man of words. I have an uncircumcised, very heavy tongue. I just can't do this. This is too much for me. Maybe, just maybe, Moses, in some sense, is like the rest of us. He sees and turns to see, but then he hides his face. He's ambivalent. He can take it in, but he can't take it in. He hears the call, and he says, no. And then finally, God says, well, here's Aaron, your brother. This is what you're doing, and this is it. So just shut up and do it. So God's not taking now. So what is this vision, and what does this vision mean for us? One could call the vision of the burning bush a mystical vision, special, spectacular, splendid. But I also think it's the vision calling to each of us from the seemingly lowly details of our lives, like that lonely thorn bush in the desert. It's the mysticism of everyday life, the vision behind the routine. The lowly bush represents whatever is before us every day, burning, alive, wild, irrepressible, I went out just this morning for a walk in Riverside Park, walking my dog as I do every morning. I'm thinking about the scene. I saw each tree anew, each tree calling, each tree burning with a life of its own being, or maybe with divine presence, that inexhaustible wildfire of life itself, that fire that doesn't consume. And there I was walking on holy ground with all the, the other humans walking our dogs this morning, but I kept my shoes on. The rabbis did something extraordinary with the story, really extraordinary. What they did is take God's introduction to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and make that the beginning of the Amidah, the standing prayer, three times a day. So what we are invited to do every day is have a burning bush experience. The burning bush story becomes a practice for every one of us. It's not just a story. It's not just a story we, we tell. We are invited to stand before the bush. So whether you do that in traditional prayer 
or you do that because you get the power of a moment that you're in or the power of another person that you're beholding, that can be a practice for you, for us. What does it mean to stand in front of the burning bush? Last night, I found out that my younger daughter, who's 20 years old, has COVID. Very unfortunately, she tested negative the night before, so she got boosted yesterday and then found out last night through a PCR test that she has COVID. So now she's dealing with the symptoms of <laughs> the booster and the symptoms of actually having COVID. Needless to say, I was terrified. My husband and I were terrified. She was terrified. We didn't know what this was. We didn't know if it would be mild. She was afraid she would lose her taste and have long haul COVID. And little by little, just sort of parsing out the symptoms and, and you know, speaking to doctors, we realized that it was probably a mild version and it's Omicron, although there might be some danger in the sort of, you know, addition of the booster with um, the illness itself. But I'll tell you the truth. I didn't want it to be true. I was scared. I wanted to hide my face from reality. But being a mother, I said he named me all the while that I didn't want was ha what was happening to be happening. It's the call of a mother, the call of a parent, the call of a human being. Every day in the act of mothering, even when your children are grown, we are being called, called to action. For that moment, last night and today, the call was make soup, make tea, take temperature, administer Tylenol, call doctors in and out of the soup room, make sure she's okay, comfortable. He nanny, he nanny, he nanny. It was my child, not a lowly bush and not exactly burning because thank God her fever was short-lived but still burning in her suffering and her fear and I ready to respond to a child, to her call. Mother, mother, no stop, mother, mother, endless need. I summoned up all my rachamim, all my motherly compassion, even though there are times I just want to hide my face and say, no, I don't want the mission. I don't want to see the face of suffering. I don't want to turn to see human suffering, especially not in my child. I am like other parents everywhere, only human, afraid, vulnerable. It seems like even God is limited. God needs a partner. God needs us. We all need one another. We need to turn to um, when others turn to turn towards so that we all know we're not alone. We need to say he nanny to one another. On this Christmas Eve, when the world is lit up with hope and endless gifts and surprise and even maybe even the hope of being saved and the world is burning, may we see the miracle, may we turn to see, hear the call, stand up tall, feel the burn, may we turn to see, to be fully human, turning, turning, turning towards and away all the while, standing on this holy ground, this holy ground. Shabbat Shalom.